Are you looking to get your products in front of 17,000 foodies? Consider exhibiting at the IFT First Conference, happening in Chicago, July 16th through 19th. The expo is put on by the Institute of Food Technologists, IFT, and filled with buyers, investors, product developers, research and development professionals, and innovators. There will be a startup pitch competition giving away $15,000 in prizes, plus 100 scientific panels, more than 800 exhibitors, plus the Startup Pavilion featuring 100 food and food tech startups. Booths in the Startup Pavilion are affordable at just $575. The theme of this year's IFT First is Innovation in a Time of Crisis. Can we future-proof the food system? To learn more about IFT First and how to get a startup kiosk, Go to iftevent.org. That's I-F-T as in Institute of Food Technologists, iftevent.org. And the link is in the show notes. Because if you roll up to a grocery buyer, if you're even lucky enough for them to try their, your samples and they see that it's not shelf ready, they won't even bother contacting you. I really think that visual cues and visual perception of anything is what's key. No matter what you're doing, it, you look at something and it, you automatically make judgments. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Today, we're joined by two of my favorite Startup CPG community experts. Kirk Faisola and Andy Kurtz. The world of printed packaging is complex to navigate, and I wondered what was top of mind for Kirk and Andy as they help brands daily with designing and executing branding and packaging at Kirk's agency, Mind the Font, and Andy's agency, Buttermilk Creative. Our goal was some 101 level content around designing and printing packaging for your brand. Listen in as Andy and Kirk share about common misconceptions when working on print projects and how the color you see on a screen translates to printed color, the importance of being a good partner to your packaging vendors and considerations for choosing a printer, tips for navigating a rebrand, ideas for saving money while still creating custom packaging, how to transition from packaging primarily for D2C to a successful package for retail shelves, a review of Shelfie Winner Awesome Sauce's unboxing experience and how to maximize your D2C consumer experience with packaging, and more. And stay tuned for a bonus episode this week featuring co-founder Carl from Awesome Sauce, not only a Shelfie winner, but also one of the fan favorites from our Backpack Brands event at Expo East last year. Now let's hear from Andy and Kirk. Hi, Kirk. Hi, Andy. I am so excited to talk to you both today. How are you? Hey, Jesse. Doing good. Is Kirk present? <laughs> I'm kidding. No! <laughs> <laughs> Doing well, Scared Jesse. For a second. Uh, that was yes, good. Yeah. Everybody thought Kirk's, Kirk's internet was frozen because it sucked. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I'm doing well. Jesse, what's up, girl? How you yeah. doing? I'm doing great. And I've, you know, my week's been better knowing that I was gonna get to talk to you on my calendar, um, some of my favorite people in CPG. So yeah, it's so fun to get to catch up and talk about packaging. And I was just I was I was just texting Kirk the other day because I was listening to one of your recent podcast episodes, which we'll talk about. So yeah, just a such big uh big fan of both of you so it's an honor to have you both on the show well awesome. thank you so thank much you for having us yeah and kirk was my og podcast guest when i started season three at startup cpg so always will hold Whoa. a special place in my heart yeah that was that was a lot of fun and i 
and I was honored to be your first guest. And you, and you did a really good job doing it. So I'm very proud of you. You've come so far. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, well, I, let's, you know, I'd love to hear just a quick intro from each of you of kind of a little bit of your background and then each of your design agencies. And then from there, we'll kind of get into a, a discussion around packaging. But maybe we start with with Andy and then, uh, and yeah, just would love to hear a little bit more about you. Sure. I'm Andy Kurtz. I'm founding creative director of Buttermilk Creative. I sound like a frog because my three-year-old gave me some sort of crud. So I apologize for that. But I think it sort of has like a sexiness to it, too. Um, it does. <laughs> but, but I, uh, like I said, I run Buttermilk Creative. We design packaging and branding for specialty food and beverage brands. And before that, I worked in-house at the Fresh Market, which is a specialty grocery store running their in-house team. And um, and that's what sort of brought me into this crazy world of of specialty food and CPG and everything. And and I also uh, send out the emails Tuesday and Thursday for Startup CPG. Um, that's how I know Jesse and Kirk and this whole magical world um, that we are living in. So thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. And then I'm Kirk Vaisol. I'm the founder and creative director of Mind the Font, a full service branding and design agency, packaging design agency. It feels so weird because automatically now when I say that, I feel like saying, and I'm here with my good friend, and then Andy would introduce <laughs> yes. himself. So, and, and I've been doing that since 2019 on my own. Before that, I was at a place called Shackley Corporation, uh, MLM, which is also known as a cult. Um, so it's a pyramid scheme, but it's legal. <laughs> so I worked there and the internal team was actually, um, met some really good people that worked there who I'm still in contact with now and have worked with since. So it was a good people, the company itself, not so much. Uh, I'm slamming companies already the first three minutes into the show. <laughs> it would be a podcast with but, Kirk if you weren't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I've been freelancing and doing this for a very long time. I started in 1999 and so here I am still. The old man on the block done everything from early web design, UX, UI design, mobile when it was first coming out, icons when they were first a big thing on on the iPhone one. So it's just it's just been a very interesting journey for me, and I'm here and happy to be here on the Startup CPG podcast with Jesse Freitag. I love it. I'm gonna have Kirk do my intros from now on because I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that sounded good. So right, <laughs> <Perfect>. man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I. I love bo that both of you, you've done, both done so much content and education around packaging and design. Like you used to have, uh, you know, do clubhouse sessions on your own and with Startup CPG. And I used to listen into those because I think for me, like entering the world of CPG, you know, the first time I went to print with some packaging, it was so overwhelming. And I was working with a designer that had not printed something before either. And, you know, let's just say a lot of mistakes were made and a lot of like hard lessons learned when you're like taking something to print. You're also designing something not just for the internet, that, but that's going to show up on a store shelf. And so getting to like talk and learn to experts like you is just, I find it so helpful because you can avoid so many really expensive uh, mistakes and also just get a better understanding of like how you know, branding is so important to the way that our products show up in shelves and grocery stores. So I'm curious from each of you, just, you know, when we talk about kind of like packaging 101, like what are some of the things that come up for you as far as like frequently asked questions from clients or like some of the biggest 
you know, uh, hurdles that you see brands into? Like, what does that kind of prompt for you? For me, it is um, usually it's around color and, the, it, you know, the clients, because they don't need to worry about this, don't understand the difference between all the different types of color and processes of printing and all that kind of stuff. So they'll see, say, they'll see a color on the screen They'll be like, well, that's what I want. Why can't I have that on my packaging? It's like, well, that's a that's a screen. And you're talking about a three-dimensional object that's going to be printed on a press. So, and I, and I don't like, and I'm like, so you can't have it. It's that we will have to go through a process through this, you know, Pantone book. And we're going to have to pick a chip that closely resembles what you're seeing on your screen. Um, but that's a big, that's a, that's a hard thing that like, I know Kirk and I, we just, have this like it's color is just you know built in we have assumptions about it and we assume right. everybody knows about it and then you know it's sort of shocking to have to explain to somebody the difference between you know four color versus spot color and all that kind of stuff but once and but really like i said clients shouldn't really have to worry about that because if they're working with a designer who's designing the proper way within the print specs then they don't need to worry about that. It's all going to be taken care of. But that's a big thing is is making sure because then the client has picked out a color, it goes to print, and then that package arrives at their door. They open it up and they're like, well, it's, this isn't what I want. It doesn't look right. doesn't look good. Right. Um, so right. we try to mitigate that disappointment. Yeah, I think, too, just to piggyback on what Andy was saying, I love that piggyback on what people are saying. Um, <laughs> When a client comes to you and they want you to work on something, I think there's two things that they need to keep in mind. Um, one, no matter what they see on the screen, like Andy was saying, it's not going to look like what it's going to be printed. That's why we have the PMS books. And even the PMS books, Pantone Matching is a Pantone Matching System. Um, even those books are mint merely as go-bys. They can get it super close. I mean, like incredibly close, even using the same color, using the same processes. They can get it close, but it still may not be exact, but it's going to be the closest thing you can get to in regards to having a color proper. And the other thing is to trust us. Like when you go to a designer and you know they've been printing and doing stuff for a long time, you need to trust them and trust the process because that's where the magic happens. Um, I did a project for someone recently and it was a big the big to do. And it was one of the first things I did where it was actually put on the die line. And I was like taken aback by it because one of the things I was able to do on that was I just had, I had room to like do whatever I wanted to. And they trusted the printing process. And when I was putting it together, I knew exactly how the colors would turn out. And I said, here, use these files. And they used them and it came out great. And it's just one of those things where you have to kind of trust the designer and also use, if you can, the Pantone matching system or something along those lines to match color. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. It kind of reminds me of there's like a I don't know if it's a meme, but it's just like it's made its way around the Internet of like for design of like prices of like uh, I design it lowest cost. And yes. then it goes yeah. through all the like the the highest cost is uh, you design it. And I just put it on stuff because the amount of back and forth required is just astronomical. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Got to trust your experts. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. why like I'm there was a um, designer that I worked like the first time I worked with a designer that like had experience and was like, oh, we can get like ink jaw downs and like things. And I was like, these are words that I don't know. We can like. And then he was like, here, like, get a, you know, here, buy a Pantone book. And I was like, what's a Pantone book? And then he was like, here's a link, buy this book. And then I'm going to send you numbers and you're going to look them up in the book. And I was like, oh, cool. Thank you for <laughs> thank you so much for educating me because this yeah. is overwhelming. Yeah. Things- and it's so it's so important for, you know, when you think about going on shelf and creating a billboard and all that kind of stuff. And if you have different types of 
products. So like you have a box and you might have a stand up pouch and you might have some other format. You in in let's say you your categories are the same colors, then you want them all to be consistent across the board, no matter what or as close as they can. And if right. you're not working in the right you know, with picking out the right colors and things like that. You know, if you look at the swatch book, a spot color that translates into a four color um, color sometimes are vastly different. They're the same yes. name, but they look totally different when they switch. The usually when it goes to four color, it dulls down. It sort of grays out. And yep. so, you know, if you if you've picked that color and you print it spot on this on you know like a custom printed tub or whatever, then you go to a four color printed box. Those two might not look the same, but they're going to sit next to each other on the shelf. You're going to look like garbage, you know, like it's not going to look right. So I just yeah. was working on that with a with a client who's doing custom printed tubs and four color printed boxes and labels. And so what we did was we went through and like basically audited all their colors. We didn't oh. cha really change anything, but we audited. Oh. It. I, I went through and I was like, OK, this color. And I showed him I had to show him on the screen like. This is what it looks like spot. This is what it looks like CMYK. That's why it looks like crap now. And he's like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize it. So now we're yeah. picking this color. And now there's not much distinction between spot versus four color. And so now when it goes out in the world, it'll look better. Oh, OK, but that's what, you know, he was like, oh, I'm, you know, the inexperienced designer that I work with, he, they didn't even they were just sort of mixing colors, you know, like yeah. in the sliders on Illustrator, which is terrifying. <laughs> Can but, you yeah. explain like what four color process is too, just for some context? <laughs> yeah, yes, it's it's so like a you know if you think about um, a press, so things are when things are printed um, commercially, you can either print them spot, which is one color, it's one pure color that's that's mixed, or you can print it four color, which is layers of cyan, magenta, um, yellow, and black, and with the in the way that there's like a pattern and everything but when all those things all those four colors layer together it creates an image but because of that because it's a mixture of different colors and not the pure color that's why it can sometimes get a little dull that's why the same color um can can look different spot color versus cmyk most commercial printing is done like if you look at a magazine that's printed cmyk um if you look at, you know, any most packaging and things like that, um, anything with like a picture will, will be will have printed CMYK or at least CMYK That's plus usually, a yeah. couple other um, right. you know, varnish or whatever. Right. But and here's something, too, I, I was learning that, you know, I think it was either Valio or Adam was telling me because of the volume and the quality of digital printing, um, digital printing is becoming a thing, too. So think of. Oh, yeah. Think of it as. Trying the best way to say this. Think of it like a laser printer in your house as opposed to a actual printing press. That's the difference yep. between digital and offset printing or what Andy was explaining with CMYK. It's and Andy worked in a pre-press department too for a while. So he understands this stuff a lot more than other designers do. So he's very much a geek about about colors. I am the person that does use the sliders like a madman. Like I just go crazy with <laughs> the sliders and then do you reverse and engineer spend it? hours? And you, yeah, you I pick, spend hours. Yeah, <laughs> spent hours thumbing through a Pantone book. It is totally the wrong thing to do, but I I've been doing it so long that it, it's a lot easier for me that way. I don't know why, but whoever's listening to this, do process. it the way Andy says. Yeah, do it the way Andy <laughs> says because Andy's smart. 
<laughs> I definitely, I found it eye-opening too. The first time I like visited, I've had the opportunity to visit a couple facilities, like one digital facility in Vancouver, Washington, near here, which is super cool to get to see that they print primarily like film type of packaging and then got to see like um, a company that does like cartons. And they were showing me like, oh, like here's the like die, like this physical thing that we have that we're like loading in for your product and like here's like your ink color and like when they were showing me like physically i was like oh this makes so much more sense like why there's so much back and forth when you're printing something and like it can seem kind of frustrating when you go through the process of like why is this taking so long like like you're saying like when you print something at home i press print and it prints um yes. and it seems kind of frustrating but then you like go to a facility and you see all the inputs and the machines and all these physical pieces being loaded in and it's like oh this is this is complicated to make things all look the same and make them in mass. Like it's a totally different process. Yeah, yeah it the, totally is. And it can like, that's another thing that, you know, when you, when you're printing at a larger scale, you know, you're, you're getting plates made for each of those colors and, you know, just, and that that's cost that adds cost. And so if you mess up or you need to change something, you didn't prove something, you need to change it. Well, that's another 300, 500 bucks to get another plate made to, to print that. And then, like you said, yeah, the the dyes associated with um, that's why it's always good to ask. It went, once you get down the road, always good to ask what do you what does your printer have like on shelf as far as like the type yes. of boxes they they already produce, right? Because there's no sense in making a custom box if they already have something on the shelf that they can they can use. Um, and you know yeah, you don't and, know that until you ask. And Andy's and Andy's speaking also from from a startups. As a startup position too, like when you're starting up, when you're first doing something, if you want to get a custom box, okay, fine, do it. But it's always nice to see what options that printers have because they have myriad yeah. options for boxes, generic die they lines. Make it once even and for, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, they'll, they'll right. keep using it. Right. And so you have myriad options to see what they have and they can have all kinds of boxes you would have never thought of using that may be perfect for your product as opposed to just going out and paying the extra money for it. And if you're thinking of ways to cut cost and, and to do things of that nature, you can also think of how, and this is something that always plays into doing things when you're printing too, is making something called a shell. And a shell is just the base print of everything that you may need. So if you have a flavor or box and it's not going to change much other than flavor, name and nutritional facts, you can actually print out the entire entity of them and just use certain quantities and flavor them or personalize them how you want to for each SKU. Um, you can do that with business cards. You can do with a lot of things. And so there's a lot of ways you can go about using printing to help you even save costs in the long run. It may seem like a major investment at the time um, because it's not cheap to print things like that. But in the long, long run, it can really help you and save you money. And the best example of what Kirk described it's basically like, a, you know, think of coffee, coffee bags, and you have this, you know, especially like a, a specialty roaster, they're going to have a variety of different roasts, varietals out there, some like limited edition, really small batch and some, so, you know, house blends that are a little bit bigger in quantity. And to have that sort of that bag, that sort of stock bag, brand, stock brand bag, and then um, you would then you personalize it with your various labels mm -hmm. or each variety or whatever so and you know everybody does it starbucks does it um but yeah even small it, it's even better for smaller brands because then you you've been able to tap into that scale of printing a large quantity of those bags yes. but then you 
have a label printer that is probably printing them digitally that you can then tap into, okay, I'm just going to order a hundred of these particular labels and I'm only going to order 50 of these labels, so on and so forth. And then you have that flexibility to um, change stuff out and be seasonal and be sort of more impulsive as a brand. Yeah. And, and to, piggy, to piggyback also off that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just keep piggybacking. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what Andy just said about when he said tap into that large scale, meaning that the biggest fee you usually have when doing printing is the setup cost, which we mentioned earlier about doing the plates and setting up each color. Once that's done, it's just a matter of adding more paper, right? And it doesn't take that much for them just to add more paper and print more stuff and a little more ink. So the difference between running, I don't know, like say 5,000 boxes as opposed to 20,000 boxes, maybe less than a third of what you were paying. Just because it's, if you're, your setup costs, us, I'm just throwing out numbers, say it's uh, 5,500 for 6,000 boxes and you go to 10,000 boxes and it's like seven grand. It's like, just pay the extra 1,500 to, to get double the quantity, right? Or almost double the quantity. And then you have all those. You're not paying the setup P, you're not paying the, the cost. Uh, did I say setup P? I meant setup fee. <laughs> you're not paying the cost uh, to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> and so and it makes it makes sense so it's it's good to have a strategy when going into this about um about how you want to print things make sure your designer has some knowledge and make sure they're working with a printer who understands it as well finding a good printer is key as well as, as having a good designer with you mm-hmm. yep being being a good um partner with a printer is very important yes. and that, Amen. that that's something that you know you, you, they can um just yeah just being a good collaborator and and hearing what they feedback because if not it can get so squirrely with like your client sending over files to the printer the printer replies back and is like oh i see that two of your images on your files aren't embedded and they're in rgb color space and then it looks like you've chosen half spot colors and half cmyk colors and only a few of them actually are pms colors and so on and so forth and like what is the you know the the client has no it's it's another language and so it's always good as a designer to get in that, be part of that conversation, be a good partner, reach out to the printer, even as you're designing, you know, just be like, Hey, I'd love to touch base with you. Um, like I just did this with a client. We're redesigning their printing um, boxes and I wanted to talk to their printer just to say, we're going through this process of redesigning their boxes. I've looked, I've reviewed your print specs. I've reviewed the existing art. So I think I'm designing it per the specs and it's there's not going to be any crazy stuff but i want to touch base with you just to make sure we're on the same page when this comes over it's not a surprise and um i'd like to think that it's gone smoothly so far (laughs) and i try to be very like when he asks a question i try to be on top of it like oh we're missing this font oh let me get that for you or let me do this or that for you or um try to be very responsive because they're working the last just thing as hard wanna, as we are. Yes. And the last thing you want to do as a designer and when you're sending something over is to be because most of those people, since Andy and I both do production work and we've both done like pre-press stuff, usually a designer of a higher end doesn't work on any other production files, uh, especially a lot of in-house agencies. They give it to the juniors to do all the production work or production artists. So when you can hand it a file and you have to fix someone else's crap. It's really frustrating. So I try to be as accommodating as I can. If, if something I hand over that I think is good is messed up, it's like, oh, well, let me get back to you on this. Um, I've had one printer who was a total ass um, when I was printing him, just like talked down to me, didn't answer the question when I was asking stuff and like was saying, oh, we can handle that and was telling me all the different processes and what she can do something. And I was like, 
that's great. I understand. I really have no idea what you're talking about. I just want it to look this way. Is that possible? Well, we can do this like a yes or no is fine. <laughs> I just need to know if you can do it. And it was like he was trying to show his knowledge by yeah. saying how much smarter he was while talking down to talking down to me. And I was like, dude, I don't need that from you. But anyway, one person, one printer out of over two decades of work. I think it's is a good thing. That's, that's, so that's good. Yeah. 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 When so. when you have a client ask like and we see this question a lot in the startup CPG Slack of just like, I need a new film printer, I need a box printer, I need cartons. Like we you know if if a client asks you like, hey, do you have any recommendations or um you know, because and then a lot of times, as, especially smaller brands, you're super price sensitive to like who's going to give it to you for the lowest cost. But there's also having the right working relationship. Like you want a good printer that's going to be, you know, responsive and work with you and that you and you want to be a good partner. To them. So I'm curious about any insights of like navigating, you know, choosing a printer like you've kind of been talking about establishing that good relationship. Mm. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Andy. It was, it's it's tricky because it does because printers are selling a you know commodity. You know, like you're you're really left to price and 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 like you know working relationship and stuff. So it's hard. Like I've made plenty of recommendations in the past of printers that I have relationships with and like I really like and I want to help them out. In the end, it really came down to oh, I found this other person because they were cheaper. Um. But then, you know, there's also proximity. A lot of, especially post-COVID, a lot of our clients have been very proximity um, sensitive. So they want to try and find somebody, at least in their region, to work with because they're afraid, you know, of supply chain stuff and things like that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, it really, there's so many out there. I mean, there's, there's some like, just like, and if you spend any time on Startup CPG Slack, you will see yeah. names continue to pop up you know, of, of folks. Cause just like there's a lot of designers who work in the CPG industry and you see their names pop up a lot. Same with the vendors that support it. Um, so, yep. um, so yeah, there's, there, but there's so many out there. It's, it's, um, but it really does usually come down to price. <laughs> it does. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because of price and what'd you say regional access or access to people, accessibility. It, I was just, printing something or had something printed for a client and it was a champagne bottle and it was pretty simple label. I had it. It was just two, two over two over two with a foil. Right. And one company bid literally double the other company without even quoting the foil on it. And the other company did everything else with the foil and it was it was half of the cost. So, of course, they went with with the other company and they were in L.A., but the one that bid so much was local in Napa. And I think they were used to people just paying for it because it was right there. They could go Snapa, check on yeah. it. Right. Right. And they could afford it and they were thinking about it. But when people were now kind of watching their their wallets and pinching pennies and there were a smaller winery there, they're like, all right, yeah, well, we'll go here with, to L.A. with the people who are charging us less than half to get everything done. And they came out great. The labels yeah. look, look really good. And it's a matter of not only costs, but sometimes even being regional doesn't help it if cost is really a factor. Right. Yeah. And depending on if you're working with a co-manufacturer too and timing, sometimes I know yep. yeah. working with yep. a co-manufacturer right now that like, they're like, this is our preferred like carton vendor. You can use yep. someone else, but it'll increase your onboarding time by X number of weeks. And depending mm. on, you know, how much of timing is a factor, like those things can play into it too. Or you're like, well, at least if this co-packer likes working with this, you know, hopefully that's a good relationship. Like in this case, it means that someone from 
the, you know, they're at each other's facilities all the time. So it's easy to get, you know, um, like samples and everything. So that can play a factor too. Yeah. And I think it needs to be mentioned because I wasn't even thinking about this, like co-packers and co-manufacturers, they have running times. Like your product is set to run at this time. So if your product's set to run, that probably means that it needs to go into something, which means that's where the packaging comes in. So as packaging people, we have to have really adhere to deadlines and make sure that everything works. And so when someone says it can add time, that's just like, <laughs> that is definitely not, not the thing you want to hear um, whenever working against the deadline is, well, it's going to add time. It's like, ah, all right, well, let's just use them. Um, and probably also the process in which they do things is much quicker, but everything needs to be printed and ready to go for the, for the copac when it's running through their line to put the product into. It's so important. Yeah. Are you looking to grow your product sales with specific retailers? Do you wish you had store-level information about your products? What if there was a way to make sure your next product launch was a success? Social Nature is here to help. Social Nature is an all-in-one shopper marketing platform designed to help emerging brands win at retail. Powered by 1 million natural shoppers, they help you move units off the shelf quickly and get you the store-level insights you need to scale your business. If you're looking to grow at retailers like Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, HEB, Wegmans, Walmart, and more, email marketing at socialnature.com or visit business.socialnature.com to learn how. And make sure to mention hearing this message on the Startup CPG podcast. That's business.socialnature.com or the link is in the show notes. Hey there, this is Kim on the Startup CPG team. Did you know that over 70% of in-store promotions are not effective and over 80% of brands will fail while promoting at the shelf? But you have to run promotions with retailers. So what's the solution? Thankfully, Promomash, the only all-in-one promotion management platform, and Crisp, a leading retail data platform that integrates with over 40 retailers, have developed a joint solution that gives CPG brands a level of visibility and control they've never had before over their trade spend and promo performance. A free 30-day risk-free trial is available exclusively for Startup CPG members. Just go to promomash.com slash Startup CPG. Promomash is spelled P-R-O-M-O-M-A-S-H. To see for yourself what more effective promotion planning looks like, that's promomash.com slash startup CPG, or the link is in the show notes. Well, and on the on the branding, rebranding side, you both have done a lot of amazing, beautiful branding projects, rebranding projects. I'm kind of curious on maybe some of the things you think through when a brand approaches you and says, hey, you know, this is the packaging we used at the farmer's market. We're ready to scale up or, you know, we've been doing really well in retail. We're ready for we're ready for a refresh. Um, like, what are some of the things you think through as far as like the like kind of the prime? You've got like a primary box that's on the shelf or maybe it's a bar and in a tray or, you know, a beverage. Then you've got the like if it's a multi pack, you know, maybe there's like shippers that end up like you know, as, as you think through these kind of projects, like there are things that you kind of go to first of like, okay, we, these are the decisions we need to make through first, or this is what the brand needs to define to like, for me to figure out how to successfully navigate this. I, I like to, um, specifically with like a packaging redesign. Um, and, and I guess depending on how long the brand has been out there, 
and how many, you know, fans it already has or customers it already has, or if it's, you know, on shelf. I like to try to look at ways to bridge the existing packaging with the new packaging. So are there colors that can carry over into the new design that that correspond with the flavors so that, you know, when the current customer sees it on shelf, the new the new design, they're, it's not a shock. They, they're like, oh, I've already I've always bought the original and it's green. So yep. and there's the original green, but it looks a little different, a little fresher, you know, but I know that that's what I usually buy. So that's I always try to look for just in other details of the brand um, to to bring in to that, you know, to the to the new design that is existing um, to honor it, but then also to to create that consistency. So it's not a not a big shock. Yeah. And you hit that on the head, man. Um, People need to see something familiar when they're looking on the shelf. And oftentimes my wife, she'll go looking for something like a particular. This just happened recently. She was looking for a particular bottle of vitamins that she buys and she couldn't find it because they did a refresh, a rebranding. And the logo still is kind of the same, but the rest of the packaging, I think it was a nice update. It feels a little more fresh, but for someone who's looking for it and you have a loyal base, it's like you alienate them um, by not having the same stuff going on. But in regards to when someone approaches me when they want to have a refresh or for branding or packaging, I always look and there's two things I have to ponder, like how much work do they need and do they know how much work they need? So whenever people are starting their own business and doing startup stuff, they're very attached. It's literally their baby. You know, you don't want to do too much and you don't want to spend a lot of time and energy on doing something totally different that they're going to be like, oh, I don't I don't like this. And why can't you do it this way? And I was really happy with the way it was before. So you have to really do a lot of diving into and and questioning of, hey, what are you trying to get from this? What is it you hope to accomplish? Why are you changing the packaging? And there's all the different strategy that goes along with the actual packaging change. Um, they, may be, they may be going to a different, probably going from a pouch to a box or from a jar to a pouch or whatever it may be. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But you really want to, like Andy was saying, try to stay as close as you can by bringing over previous elements when moving forward, whether it be the branding itself or colors or names or even type treatments. Another thing that I mentioned to brands who are redesigning, who have been on the shelf for a little while, have relationships with buyers and brokers and distributors is I always suggest to them that we're not going to necessarily let them in on the really early creative process, but it's important to bring those folks along later in the, you know, let them know that you're redesigning. And then when, once we're, you know, whittling down the different concepts and stuff, and we have like an A and a B to run it by them. And just see, what do you mm-hmm. guys think? I'd love your perspective because eventually it's going to go on their shelf. So obviously you don't want it to like be a shock to them. Like one day I was buying this from you and now I'm buying this brand new packaging. What is this? Um, right. And then they also feel like, th- and they are part of the process. They've, they've were able to speak their voice because they know what performs well on their shelf. And so if yes. this redesign is sort of going off the rails or, you know, they have some good input on claims or call outs. That's the time to get it. And um, what better place to get it than from them? You know, like consumer research can be very, very expensive. And it mm-hmm. yes, it's like, OK, you're taking an opinion from one buyer, from one retail um, retailer. But it still is um, it, it's still valid. And I think it still is worth it um, because they you know, see a ton of products. So that's always something when I when I'm going through the, sort of like the here's what we're going to do with a client in a redesign, I bring that up and they're like, Oh, I didn't even think of that. You know, like, yeah, that's, that sounds great. I'd love to, you know, we, we have a great relationship with the whole foods buyer. I'd love to bring them in on the process and have them sort of get their, 
perspective on it. So that's that's something that we've just worked into our our uh, redesign process. That's a really good idea because the client gets excited by it too. Like not the client, but the actual grocery person gets excited yeah. by it too. So that yeah. makes it a really fun process. Yeah. 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 You're bringing them into it. That's, that's really cool. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. Like when we, when we're working on a brand or like your brand and you're so attached to like what the name of your brand is or, or whatever. And I think it was interesting, like one of the bar companies I worked with, like, you know, you talk to a consumer and you'd be like, Oh, you know, I work for this company. And they're like, Oh, is that the, is that the blue one with the whatever? Like, you know, when you're, when you're on shelf in the grocery store with 40,000, you know, products in an average grocery store or something, like, I think it's easy to forget, like you said, with the rebranding of like bringing over some of the elements of how, like as consumers, a lot of times you're just kind of like, oh, I like that. I like that one package that looks like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what you buy. And then if somebody says, hey, what's your favorite chip brand? You're like, uh, I could show it to you (laughs) at the store, but I don't know the name. And so it's kind of interesting as consumers, like we don't always know the name of what we're buying, but as a like startup and as a brand, like your name and who your company is feels so important. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's on that note. That's another interesting thing that I I had to take a step back and sort of add out of body experience. So like, you know, really people interact with your packaging, at least before they buy it, you know, like it's like 1.5 seconds or something, you know, like five feet away or something. And we spend months designing packaging and like looking at it and back and forth, iterating back and forth with the client, all this kind of, I mean, we stare at it for so long, all for a customer to spend like, and same with websites, you know, like I know we're talking about packaging design, but same with websites. We spend so long designing websites, months and months, all for somebody to spend what, like two and a half seconds or whatever. Um, Right. And so it's just, it's just interesting, you know, where, yeah, it's just, you just have to remind yourself of that. Like, but all those months make that one and a half seconds very effective. And right. so that's the, yes. that's the differentiator, but, but it really is, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing that it's sort of humbling, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's very cool. You said that, man, because I, I really think that visual cues and visual perception of anything is what's key, no matter what you're doing you look at something and it, you automatically make judgments. And so if you want to be so superficial as to make judgments about something from looking at it, that's the place to do it is from a packaging or, or a website standpoint. The other day, my, my father-in-law asked me, do you have a website? And I had to think about it. He's 80 years old and he's an astro- retired astrophysicist and he's an incredibly smart man. But it's just the thought of him asking, do you have a website? And I had to think about it because if someone's asking that now, like, is it that important? Is having a website that important? Because I was thinking about it, a lot of people don't even go to my website. They go to my social, they go to Instagram, they go to everything else. And I said, yeah, I do have a website. But then I was like, is it that important? So it doesn't matter where the impact is being made as long as you're making an impact. And you have to make it in a manner that's like one and a half seconds. So they may see your product on your website or they may see your product on the shelf, but the impact needs to be the same. Right. The the idea of breaking through all the other shit that's on the shelf or all the other sites that are out there, like that's the whole part of it point of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And for for brands that maybe haven't been on retail shelves before but they've had an online presence because like you're mentioning like website presence versus like on-shelf presence very different. Like are there things you talk brands through or help them think through as far as like okay, this this may have been super important to have on your like mock-up that was on your website, but now it's going to be on shelf. Let's think through these things because it's in a grocery store environment. 
Um, the the biggest thing, yes, there are visual things, and maybe I'm gonna let Kirk talk about that. But the yeah. biggest the biggest thing is non-compliant packaging design going from D to C to retail shelf. That's yes. the biggest thing because you know then and I'm not we buttermilk creative is not. Uh, you know, we're not lawyers. We don't, we, we just are very familiar with the FDA guidelines because we've had to work within them for so long. And so, you know, there's, there's, um, guidelines around point size for net weight statements, net content, there's formatting of how that has to, has to sound or, or look. Um, there's different things around the, the product identity versus the size to the logo, all that kind of stuff on the front of pack. Then on the back, there's UPC, there's, nutrition facts, ingredient statement, all that kind of stuff. And, and th- all that stuff has guidelines, requirements. And re- and so when clients have just started D to C, that stuff is either not done at all, or it's just yes. been done in an aesthetically pleasing way. So they'll like have tucked like the net weight, like way in the corner, tiny, because <laughs> right? mm-hmm. it looked good. The designer thought that looked good. Or they, yeah. they like took a full size nutrition facts panel and then squished it down to fit on their like sauce bottle, um, you know, or sauce label or whatever. And it's there's a format for small format packaging. You just need to know it and how to, yes. how to create that nutrition facts panel. So that's that is the biggest thing that I see in that transition um, and, and why that's so important. Because if you roll up to a grocery buyer, if you're even lucky enough for them to try their, your samples and they see that it's not shelf ready, they won't even bother contacting you to say, hey, you don't have a UPC on here or, hey, your net, net contents. They'll just go to the next. I mean, I was in many category reviews and cuttings at the Fresh Market and we would be sampling all this like a gelato sampling and just incredible stuff. And this there was this one gelato. It was so amazing. But the. They sent it in just like um, these like clear containers, these clear tubs with just like a label on it. And that was what they and it was like. And then we looked at this sort of not so great gelato that was beautiful packaging. It was shelf ready. It was in a pint. It was a familiar uh, format. And guess which one the buyer picked to go on the shelf? Not the not the premium. Great. Amazing one, because it was too, they're not going to coach you on how to get on shelf. So that's the biggest thing that that I've noticed. Um, but Kirk, there's probably there's a lot of aesthetic things that work on Amazon or on your website that don't work on shelf. Right, right. And one of them, I mean, you and I, I remember one of the, the people we had on um, Granolust. Do you remember them? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe. Yeah, um, I do remember them. And and we looked at the packaging and it's this beautiful black packaging with uh, just the name granola on it. And it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's like a it's like a designer's dream to put nothing on the front of the pack, but just like this beautiful you know design and then just like a nice description of what's inside. It's all standard. And Andy and both Andy and I both said, what, Andy, what did we say it was going to do on the shelf? Just disappear. Correct. Because said? it's black. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's dark and it and it recedes on shelf. I mean, that's something you don't think about when you're in a shelf. It, it and was in the, beautiful packaging sitting there all, you know, in a white field on, yeah. the, you know, in the grid on the website. It was just like, oh, man, I love that. But then when you think about it in context, it's like, oh, no, you know, it's, yeah. it's just going to you'll you'll never see it. That's why, you know, purely Elizabeth is white, you know, and in, in the granola set right. or whatever. Right. And there's and there's a lot of companies, too, who are who are using white and like that's kind of the the trend now is just going white. But I think mainly it's just not receding on shelf, not using darker colors without any type of pop of color. 
And the other thing is too, is one of the things Andy mentioned or was going to mention was the design aesthetic was claims. Like what, what are you trying to do? What do you want the front to say? Um, we call these violators or buttons or claims, you know, are you protein for it? So do you put like in a, in a little circle, you know, 20 grams of protein per serving or 10 grams of protein per serving? Is it vegan? Is it, in, is it non-GMO? Is it part of the non-GMO family? Is it organic? So there's all the different things on there and you have to figure out what's working best in that category. And it's always changing. Like for plant-based, right? Like that's, that's the thing, plant-based, everything was plant-based, plant-based and uh, vegan was being moved away from because vegan was almost a naughty word because people think vegan, they think no taste. Um, changes are, cha- uh, opinions are changing and also the way people perceive things are changing, but it's still, it's still difficult to, to get into people's mind of what works best on a pack if they're not willing to change simple things like what they were known for was the color. Like they couldn't just change it from black to something else, but it's just one of the things to watch out for when thinking of going from D to C to, to, to shelf. And I always try to tell people think long-term, like don't design one skew for tomorrow, design one skew that could turn to 30 for five years from now, right? Like that's the way you should be thinking of how to expand and where you're willing to take it. Well, yeah, let's take a little, let's talk a little bit about the packages that you got from, uh, from Awesome Sauce, one of our shelfie winners. And, uh, yeah, would love to hear some of, Kirk is doing his unboxing right now, um, which is awesome. I've already unboxed it. It's, oh, it's okay, been okay. here. Right? He's re-unboxing with a dramatic effect. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, curious about your, I'm a big Awesome sauce fan of the branding of the product from a like taking the liquid out of, you know, condiments that we know and love and the sustainability of that. But curious about your thoughts on the packages that you received. And uh, yeah, I I love their like when I love brands that can make a statement on your doorstep, you know, and they don't just ship in like a plain brown box. And uh, the way that awesome sauce were able to do that in that very simple and i can't remember the technical term for that tuck flap um box or whatever shipper um box but the way that they were able to and it's like what is it kirk like is it two colors three colors on white two colors they're their signature like red orange and navy blue yeah so that's a that's an affordable way to get your brand across and have custom printed boxes but not break the bank um but yeah the whole the whole box is is beautiful in like the, the outside design. And then when you open it, that inside, yeah, that pop of of uh, red. Um, and then it was just really nicely, you know, the way they've sort of organized very efficiently how everything is held in there safely. You know, they're, they're shipping glass bottles. Um, so, you know, they're everything is very safe and, and has its own little place. So I just loved how thoughtful it was. It really that's what I love about brands that really go the extra mile with with their you know shipper packaging is that you know it really shows that they've they care about their brand and they care about the experience they're not just going to throw it into a harbor box they're they've taken the time to figure all this stuff out yeah and andy mentioned something very important that it's it's difficult to ship glass or breakables without using a ton of of padding or protection but what they've done is that they've tucked in they tucked in two glass jars for their different sauces into a die cut flap on the corrugate. So it separates it from the edge of the box on, on so cool. all sides. There's like a little thing underneath too, which keeps it from having direct hit from any angle when it's being shipped or thrown around and it locks it into place. So it's, it's just w- really well thought out because 
shipping glass is, is fairly expensive um, if you have it filled. But the great thing about this is that awesome sauce is just powder and you add it to the jar and they give you the measurements on the jar. They give you the actual packaging and the, the branding and everything else on here just kind of goes through. And that's so important because the packaging itself is nice, but the entire presentation is their branding. Mm -hmm. Like Andy was talking about the box and, you, you know, and how you open it, like the flood of color and all these different things. Then like just a little cute and also kind of fun way to to show their their stuff on the front as it says on a little tomato house made right instead of homemade. Right? Yeah. I, I love that. I love the fact that it says house made because saying homemade is it means to me like someone made it in their home and sent it to you. But house made feels like, oh, it's I'm making it in my house. Like, uh, it's, yeah, I don't know it's just it's kind of a fun thing. But overall, it's it's really nice. The the actual introduction of the different stylized font of saucy on the inside mm -hmm. is still playful and it feels like liquid but it still fits within the brand it's just it's just really well done really well done nice awesome literally awesome awesome um, yeah. because they're awesome yeah. sauce it's awesome sauce. Yeah. and also too i forgot to mention too like there's also a nice little a little um note yeah, they had a little handwritten note yeah yeah so that was also a nice touch like just it's so weird like how far a handwritten note goes oh, i yeah <laughs> The um, you know, I always mention these these people a lot. But midday squares, I ordered some. Uh, you had some sent to you from Jake too, right? Mm -hmm. and I got a box yesterday was... that I ordered. Yeah. Did you get the note from the, from the mom inside? <laughs> yeah, the mom. No, I didn't. But I love that. that. Yeah. Uh, it was mine was tucked in there, and it and it was like tucked in the side, and I almost threw it away. Yeah. But I opened it up and saw that was in there, and I said, "Hey, thanks so for the cute. purchase." And it's a picture. Is, is a picture of their mom in the front driving the three of them around. Um, Leslie, Aww. Leslie and um, Jake, who's their mom. And then Nick is Nest Leslie's husband and part, they're all partners. So it's really cool. It's like, thanks for purchasing the squares. Mom, it's so great. <laughs> so, I yeah. love that. I need to double check my box in case that's uh, that's yeah, it might have been should, tucked under because, a flap or something. Because, yeah, mine yeah, was sort of hidden as well. Yeah. And there's so they do so much volume now. I'm not sure if she can even keep up with the demand because it's a lot of work. But it's <laughs> yeah. like Seinfeld with like signing the checks. You know, you got the like the hand cramp. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just tape, just tape it to her hand and she can do this, you yeah. know, like yeah. waving your hand. But yeah. it's, that's also just a nice touch. Just and it lets people know that these places really need the support too, like the smaller people who are actually trying to do something sustainable well, for the environment. It. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. You know, there's, there's a human behind this, you know, this product that, and that's important to know in this day and age of sort of, you know, robots fulfilling things and stuff like that. To, it's good to know that there's still, you know, human touch out there. That's um, on the other side. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for taking a peek at the doing an doing an awesome unboxing and uh yeah, that that does bring up one one last question I do want to ask on because of you brought up corrugate, like corrugated cardboard, um like you received, you know, an e-commerce package in cardboard. I'm curious how often does corrugate come up for you as designers is I'm kind I'm kind of a cardboard nerd if that's a thing that you can be. <laughs> Um, I just, I think cardboard's cool. So I'm curious, yeah. like, is that something you bring up with clients of like, um, you know, like here's affordable ways to do some custom boxes or that's something you wait for down the road or like, here's how, you know, how does like the boxes integrate into the branding experience? Yeah. Oh. Um, well, uh, Corey, go ahead, Andy. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I always try to plant a little seed. And if someone's doing e-commerce, I always try to get them to start thinking about 
how are you going to ship this? Like, I don't know how you're going to ship it. I don't know how big it's going to be and all that kind of stuff, but you need to be thinking about what that structure is going to be. And then I can help you figure out how to do it and, it, you know, look nice, but be economical. Um, right. but, but yeah, you know, just thinking through like the unboxing, like we just talked about. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's not something that it's always a, it's usually an afterthought for clients. And so I, anytime mm-hmm. you can sort of plant the seed early, so they're thinking about it. So they're not fulfilling. It's like, oh, no, we have orders coming in. How are we going to ship this? <laughs> Just yeah. go to Uline, yeah. you know, or whatever. And it's like, no, don't do right. that. We can do better than that. Yeah. And also, too, the, the the product itself is being made. You ship boxes different than you would ship cans, right? So sometimes like cans are shipped in flats where they just mm-hmm. put the cans in and shrink wrap them. And then, but then they end up putting those into like a, a cardboard box and to ship. Um, so there's ways of, about that. And then sometimes just the product itself gets wrapped a couple times and they ship it that way to various places. And like Andy mentioned before, when printing, you have to see what shippers are available or um, how we can design on those shippers to go to either from, because the difference between going from, you know, the warehouse to a grocery store as opposed to the warehouse to a consumer. And like Awesome Sauce, if they were sending something to a where, uh, to the grocery store, I'm sure it would be different than this just because this is very personal. So I think of the best ways to do for each one. And that also entails some time on our end to say how how can we design this to make it you know more personalized for you shipping it to an individual as opposed to shipping it to a grocery store or a larger entity yeah and if you want to know about corrugate nerds go to Corey connor's yes yeah, sustainable packaging amazing. that guy is he's my go-to <laughs> he's so cool he's he's dope and he's so wise and knowledgeable about it so Corey calls it Corey's corrugated corrugated nerd. Right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love it I'll make sure yeah. to, to link Corey in the show notes. And then yes. I'll also, I'm also going to link in the show notes, your podcast, which I mentioned, Kirk and Kurtz. Um, oh, yeah. I truly do listen to your show. Um, the oh. AI episode that you just did was super fascinating. So like, yeah, uh, that was, yeah, you had a, you have a great interview with, uh, with Jake Carls from Midday Squares, like you mentioned, like so many good guests. And like, if you found this conversation about packaging and branding, like you can learn, like the shipper episode is another favorite of mine. So I'll <laughs> link some of my favorite episodes, um, wow. in the show notes, but Thank definitely, you. uh, give, give their, the podcast a listen, but how can, how can people reach each of you if they want to get in touch? Wow. Uh, the, the best way to, uh, to find me is you can find me on LinkedIn, Andy Kurtz, K-U-R-T-T-S or buttermilkcreative.com. Yeah. Kirk. And also it's, <laughs> and I, I'm Kirk Visola. I'm the only Kirk Visola. So if you type that in V-I-S-O-L-A, Kirk, it's me, but I'm KirkVisola.com, mindthefont.com and also on LinkedIn. And then our website, or not website, but our Buzzsprout or information is also on LinkedIn at Kirk and Kurtz. So it's yep. my first name and Andy's last name. And for some reason it just worked, you know, like, like peanut butter and jelly. You know, yeah, it. it's oh. perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And make sure to, to check out uh, Kirk's awesome merch. I'm wearing one of Kirk's sweatshirts oh, right now. Oh, yeah. So cool. So I'm just Damn. I'm going to load up the show notes with so many links. Like oh, people are going to have oh, all the cool stuff um, available the to them. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you both so much for sharing your expertise on this topic. I'm so grateful that you're in our community, sharing your wisdom all the time and for all that you do for Startup CPG, bringing your creativity and wisdom. I definitely recommend people follow you both on LinkedIn to see all the cool things you're working on too. Like I'm always just like, ah, like so much creativity in two people 
so cool. Some of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn and just see what you're working on and what's coming out, you know, what's going on in, in your brains that you're coming up with. So yeah, just so grateful you spent time with me and for all that you share with our community. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you Love so you, much, Jesse. It means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to chat. Yeah. And love you too, Andy. You guys are great. Love you, Kirk. Hanging out two people I love. <laughs> <laughs> love all around. Yep. <laughs> And stay tuned for a bonus episode this week featuring co-founder Carl from Awesome Sauce, not only a Shelfie winner, but also one of the fan favorites from our Backpack Brands event at Expo East last year. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. And on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.